0: Trade Efficiency with NACFI's Mike Rosen, & Friends. In episode 43, we have joining us Tim Reeser. He's CEO and co-founder of Lightning Motors, where we talk about the company's history, how and why it pivoted from hybrid vehicles to electric vehicles, the driver's role in the success of new technology. We also get into the efficiency of electric vehicles and the importance of scaling the technology to make the total cost of ownership work. And what it will take to scale electric vehicles in north america today we have joining us tim racer he's the ceo and co-founder of lightning e motors and i'm really excited about this conversation and to kind of give you some insight around my expectations i think we're going to end up um, really getting into sort of the past the present and the future of commercial electric battery trucks before we get started tim i always ask my guests how we became friends i mean how we met and and started working together, and maybe uh, or how Lightning E Motors and Nacfi. Uh, do you remember how uh, how how we met? I, I I don't completely, but obviously we've done a lot of. You've been at a lot of the trade shows
1: and participated in uh, everything from you know the ACT shows and others. And um, I've been involved with Rocky Mountain Institute for quite some time, and a lot of your involvement there. So I, I would guess, but I'm curious. You you may remember more than me. I'm I'm curious if you remember.
0: Oh, uh, that's a way to write off the bat, uh, turn the tables on who's asking the questions here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I remember, and, uh, and really that's, that's kind of my, my first question for you. I remember hearing about, um, you know, uh, lightning hybrids. And so, uh, you know, and studying it, uh, maybe even back, oh yeah, probably back in my NAC Navistar days. So, um, Uh, Yeah, that's probably when I I first learned of a, you know, a company uh, doing some cool work in this space around electrification. So um, really, let's start there. I mean, give us a little history on Lightning E Motors. I mean, uh, I don't remember the timing, but, um, you know, and and I'm really interested in the move from hybrids to I I think your business now is fully battery electric and, um, but take us through the history a bit of the company and some key moments and um, how you came to where you're at now.
1: Certainly, Mike. So, I co-founded the company in 2008 on a whim that uh, I had come out of software and and IT uh, previously, but as a mechanical engineer out of Colorado State, I always loved cars. Um, So when a a friend came to me and said, hey, I want to start a, a hybrid car company to go after the X Prize," I thought that sounded like fun and it would mix my passion for cars and mechanical engineering with my passion for software at that time in 2008. So we started the company in October 2008, originally to build a car, 100 mile per gallon car for the XPRIZE competition. Um, shortly after, so that was October, of 2008, we had built our first car. We were on a fast track and that's originally where we got the name lightning was we were fast. And so we literally <laughs> built a prototype and put it in the Denver auto show in April of 2009. So, uh, about six months in, we'd already built a prototype and put it in the Denver auto show. Now we were still buffing the car out on the, the night before the, the show. So it was, uh, it, you know, fast and furious going in. Uh, But the show changed us because while we were at the show, the head of fleets for the state of Colorado came to the booth and he said, I've read about you guys. I love your hybrid powertrain you're putting in this, but I have no interest in a car. Um, If you put this powertrain in a truck, I'd be your first customer. And I said, well, that's intriguing to me. And and I'd always been, my previous business was always business to business before then. So I'd never really had any experience selling cars to to consumers anyway. So I went back home and immediately started looking at the business plan and the business model. And I said, hey, I understand how to sell total cost of ownership. I understand what fleets need. At that time, gasoline was nearly five bucks a gallon in the US. So uh, I started doing some math and I said, hey, this pencil's out for a fleet. And uh, And at the time, I, I'll admit, I knew nothing in 2009 about fleets. Um, but it interested me and I love the business to business aspect and the total cost of ownership aspect of what played out there. So uh, we immediately transitioned the business plan and took what was kind of a, a bit of a hobbyist story of making a car for an XPRIze competition into let's build hybrid systems for fleet customers.
0: That tracks. I mean that would have been then late 2000s, fuel prices were high. Yep. Um, you know, and a lot of these start and stop. I mean, we're just starting to think about regenerative braking and what the opportunity was there. Yeah. Okay. I'm with you.
1: Exactly. So we took a, what that time was a hydraulic hybrid and, and uh, had a technical team and started building a hydraulic hybrid solution. We weren't the first to think of that. As you know, there were uh, Colorado State University, my alma mater that I was working closely with at the time and other projects said, uh, you know, they had somebody working on hydraulic hybrids at that time, both Eaton and Parker did as well. So it, it wasn't totally new, but we felt we could put it on uh, scale down into class three, four. Most of the work was in very large vehicles. So we thought we could take that idea and scale it down into class three, four, five uh, from the other people who are working on trash trucks with it like Parker um, and so we started the work and, and the first thing we did was build a accumulator systems and then we later sold that technology to uh, the Coors family who now has a great uh, company running that for a hydrogen fuel cell at this point um, named Steelhead Composites, great company run by Andrew Coors. Um, so we, we uh, a lot kind of played out as it does from that 2009 through 2017 is we built hydraulic hybrids. So for those eight years, We sold hydraulic hybrids to uh, UPS, DHL, uh, many fleets uh, and transit companies in, primarily in class three through five buses and trucks. And as you can imagine, we got to know trucks really well as a part of that. We spent a lot of time with truck drivers and bus drivers and a lot of time under the chassis of these kind of vehicles, getting to know what you could fit and what you couldn't fit and, and how people service these vehicles and what the driver's expectations were and how many miles they go and how many braking events they have. And we, we modeled a lot and we quickly found out we had to get really good at software. So we built a one hertz telematic system to, to track every braking event to the second and understand exactly how much energy we were capturing out of a breaking event of a, of a class four shuttle bus. So got really good at it, spent a lot of time in that space, uh, ended up starting a, another office in the UK. So we had offices in Loveland, Colorado and in London, uh, north of London, actually, in, in the, the uh Uh, Coventry area at Myra, a a motorway industry research association area with a test track, a lot of fun. Um, But in 2017, after getting some great traction with hydraulic hybrids, two of our largest customers who were buying hybrids from us at that time came to us and said, we're no longer gonna buy hybrids anymore. And I said, why? They said, because we've been offered the chance to buy electric vehicles for the same cost as our diesel and gasoline. So we're gonna skip the hybrid phase and go directly to all electric or all zero emission vehicles. And obviously we were devastated at the time, I was devastated because I knew we had to change the business very quickly, uh, If assuming as I did that these large customers were representative of the industry. And so even though I was a fan of hybrids and I felt they were uh, cost effective and had a great total cost of ownership, um, I kept looking at these customers who said, we have to be zero emission. Um, And I looked at what London was doing with their zero emission zone and what other people were saying they were going to copy worldwide for that zero emission zone. I looked at what was happening with greenhouse gas and carbon and said, they're right. We've got to find a way, even though right now it's expensive to go all battery electric or fuel cell electric. We've got to get there.
0: One the thing I would say about that time, Tim, is the passenger car market was kind of going that way, you know, beginning to think the same, right? I mean, and, you know, when I look at a hybrid, um, you know, it really is belt and suspenders. I mean, it has tons of benefits, but it does come with an engine and with an electric system. So it's kind of both an ICE and a battery electric truck or car. Correct. Um, and so it does and come with complexities a lot of... of both. Right. It comes with the complexities of both. And sometimes, the, you know, the regular, regulations are trying to figure this out. So you also have the regulations of both. And so yes. I, I think, um, you know, there is a, um, you know, zero emission element to it, but there's also just a complexity reality mm-hmm. of, 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 the, of the situation here too, that that has been driving a lot of people to conclude, hey, let's, let's go battery. Maybe the, Maybe the point is battery and only hybrid if you need it, rather than hybrid and only battery if you need it.
1: Well stated, Mike. And and I'll go further because it is a premise of of some of the other things I talk about a lot, which is uh, I've come to believe having spent now 13, 14 years with commercial vehicle drivers and fleets and really getting a lot of feedback and riding in the seat with a lot of UPS and DHL and transit bus drivers. it, it their experience matters. A lot of people say at the business level, hey, they aren't the decision makers. You go to the fleet, you go to the CFO, you talk TCO. But the frank truth is any of us that are in the business, and, and this is what I love about a lot of the work you're doing, you've interviewed drivers and you've talked to those drivers. And in fact, they are part of the decision. We've had a lot back in the hybrid days the hybrids were noisy. Our hydraulic hybrid was noisy. And us and Eaton and Parker all had that problem. And, and it was very difficult to drive the noise down. You were driving, you know, using very high fluid pressures and those created a lot of noise. And it was difficult to dampen the noise and get rid of it. And that noise was a major prohi- prohibitor for customers wanting to buy our hybrid vehicle. Even though it was more efficient, even though it saved them money, this complaint by the drivers that it was noisy was, was material. And it kept people from buying our product. So I said, hey, if I'm going to make a switch, let's make a switch to something drivers are going to love. It, it, since they clearly care about noise, let's give them something that's less noisy than their current diesel rather than more noisy. Um, let's give them something that's smoother because they'd complain about the choppiness of a hybrid and the brake feel. Let's give them something where the brakes are better. Let's give them something where the, the braking feel and is better. Let's give them something where there's no where it's smooth as silk to accelerate and deaccelerate. And so One of the things that excited me about going electric was the user experience could be better. We had faced a lot of things with hybrids that we just couldn't overcome the user experience, even though we could make a compelling business case for it.
0: Yeah. And what we're seeing, too, is that not just the user, well, the user and so users, there's a lot of users of these trucks, right? There's the driver driver. There's the maintenance technician that's got to fix it. There's the operations people, the warehouse people, and so forth. And, and you know, NACFI, we've been, our first electric report was in 2018. So we're going on four or five years of studying this. And and we've studied a lot of technologies. And the, the team here at NACFI have a lot of experience with, you know, OEMs and fleets that we ran and 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 were, we're decision makers in. And what keeps coming back to me with battery electric trucks is they're, there's just a plethora of benefits at the user level. You're bringing it up. And it, it, and it, it just sort of, some of them are, are what we've been coining uh, difficult to monetize benefits. So, you know, like you said, some of these decision makers might be saying, well, I don't care. The driver's lucky to have a job, you know, so he'll drive a loud loud truck or a quiet truck. <laughs> but the reality is, if you've got to, um, you know, uh, keep to keep them, to attract them, to retain them. Um, you know, is uh, is a lot of money. And if you, you know, if you lose drivers because they don't like driving it, but it doesn't stop there. It's also the warehouses where it's quiet. Um, You know, we recently, the, the team shared with me, you know, Home Depot is moving to loading tractor trailers and yard tractors inside their warehouses. So now, you know, if that's zero, you know, no emissions rather than diesel emissions, there's a lot of cost benefits to the fleet for for this, so um, you know that's another whole area this electric truck side that that I think we're going to all start to really understand going forward and, and value.
1: I fully agree, and and that's what excited me when I said, okay, I've got to make a really hard change. I've got to convince the board at Lightning to that you know stick with me here, even though we're going to pivot the company entirely to zero emission. Um, and thankfully, the board and my investors stuck with me. Uh, they believe me when I said there's a market for zero emission, and we'll do it. And as you've pointed out, Mike, we've learned all sorts of other benefits. The drivers love them. That the fleet managers love them. The the maintenance people love them. That you can drive them indoors. You can you can automate them and go to autonomy much easier. You can add a, safety features much easier. Uh, one pedal driving is a huge boon to everybody. And then just broadly, the efficiency, which you know isn't well spoken about. And this is your world, but when we move on our our class 3 product that's dyno tested so you get a really good comparison the the dyno test as a gasoline class 3 same exact vehicle shows that vehicle getting about 14 miles per gallon average city highway um ours is getting 66 miles per gallon city highway on the same dyno run so dramatic difference in efficiency that is hard to argue with. You can argue, you know, where did the energy come from, but you can't argue with the fact, regardless of where the energy came from, it's four to five times more efficient. Um, and yet then when the driver says, and by the way, I love driving it. It's smoother, it's quieter, it's
0: faster. You're not uh, talking about electric trucks. You're building them and you're building them the day, both buses and trucks. So, um, you know, tell us about the the business model that you, how you accomplish that, um, you know, with, you um, you know, taking chassis and rebuilding them and, uh, you know, creating an electric truck um, from scratch, but, um, and how that's working for you and and what the current state of the the company is right now.
1: Certainly. So when we looked out again, as we said, okay, we're going to go electrify something, we had, we did it with the foundation of, we knew the fleets well, we knew their vehicles, we knew what they needed out of their vehicles, we knew how much range they needed because we had telematics from all that from our hybrid days. So that informed us really well to say, what do we start with? And we said, well, to get to market quickly, let's start with a chassis we know customers are already using. Um, So so we started with a van chassis, a a class three van chassis, um, almost simultaneously also did a, a class five step van product because of all of our history. Um, And then also a class four. So those were all products we had done in our hybrid days, a class three van, a class four shuttle bus, and a class five step van, a class five, six step van. We knew the the chassis well. We knew where to get them. We knew who to partner with. We knew how the customers drove them. Uh, We knew what was underneath them. We knew how much torque they needed, all those things. So we set out to build a powertrain like our hybrid that would work in all three of those vehicles, a so three, four, five, six, 4, so four class of vehicles, three different types of vehicles, three different applications of vehicles. Uh, one of them was cargo and passenger in a class 3 case. The class 4 was mostly passenger that we worked with, although today we do both passenger and cargo in a class 4. And class 5 was typically, for us, class 5 and 6 was either a box truck or a step van. So we knew the users, we knew the fleets, we knew their use case, we went into it. And that allowed us to move quickly. And within uh, four months of making that transition, we went to the ACT show. Uh, I guess it was probably five months in, we made the transition. We went to the ACT show with our first model and we got a lot of tough feedback. Customers said, hey, you know, the batteries have to be totally hidden and can't be anywhere that you, you know, on the list went. Got a lot of tough feedback, but nonetheless, put us in a position where people knew, hey, we were making this pivot from hybrids to electric vehicles and and got a lot of customer feedback. And I think it's important to note our our company and us are very uh, customer feedback driven. Voice of the customer is very important. What does a customer want? And I think You know that's a big part of commercial vehicles because there's very little one size fits all. Um, Even when you think about things that should be um, one hospital using an ambulance to another hospital using an ambulance want totally different things out of that ambulance. UPS and FedEx want a totally different delivery truck and different yet than Amazon. (laughs) Different sizes, different shapes, different interior outfits, different ranges, different uses, different drivers, different driver specs on the list goes. And so. But our goal has been listen to the customers and hear what they have to say. And obviously, like anybody, the first gen products are first gen products, they have their issues. You don't have a lot of miles. But thankfully, we had some great customers who said, hey, there's you know, we want to be early adopters. There's no other choices. We'll bet with you guys and, and folks like DHL and, and other people bet with us. And they, they got on board and tried out our first products and gave us a lot of feedback. And we got a lot of telematics data on, you know, how to make it better. And that's driven us into gen two, three, and four of these products. And now in many cases, we're on a generation four of our class three and four products.
0: With run on less electric, um, you know, we, um, Followed And and one of the participants was a Lightning E Motors uh, van in uh, in Manhattan with DHL. And um, what you're saying, I mean, you know, is exactly what we kind of experienced there. I mean, you know, they've had, uh, you know, I think they've got 75 delivery vehicles at that location. They're all stored inside on actually the second and third floor of, of their depot. Um, And, you know, they've had electric trucks for a couple of different flavors or different OEMs over, you know, 10, 12 years, but the way they talked about um, the electric trucks they're deploying now, and, you know, I think um, yours in particular, uh, you know, they're you know, low range, um, pretty, you know, pretty, what we would call like, you know, easy duty cycle, so to speak. I mean, maybe that's not the right words, Tim, but, um, you know, they're ready now to go all in, um, was, um, our conclusion, uh, at that location. So, um, you know, you must be offering, uh, really a solid product that they can, that they're expecting is going to last 10, 15 years or more and, uh, and really have all those, you know, latest features that they want in a delivery van. So, um, of kudos. I mean, does that kind of describe um, sort of the situation? Because then now it's a matter of scaling, then, right? For for other yeah, other yes, and,
1: and we've announced they've placed a follow-on order for another hundred vehicles to get about a hundred vehicles to go into Manhattan. So that to exactly your point, they've put their their money where their their commitment is and uh, have committed to really do this. Um, but they spent over a year with our first nine vehicles. So to their point, they didn't rashly go out, and, and they had tested a lot of other vehicles. They've run a lot of other vehicles, and so when they did make a decision, it was thoughtful. It was tested, um, but they, they knew they wanted, and they are committed to their point to going uh, zero emission. But to their credit, they, they you know they spent the time, and and so it wasn't a, a fast uh, you know take up. It wasn't just all of a sudden they bought you know, 10,000 out of nowhere, they've been thoughtful in the way they've gone about it.
0: What is one thing that, that's really needed to, to scale here that maybe we're not already working on and we need to do more of? I was at a
1: trade show two months ago with, for, with uh, transit operators, transit bus operators. And they said at the trade show, all the panelists said, and these were big, you know, big transit bus operator fleets for, from California. And they said, for the, one of the guys said, for the first time, I'm going to stand up here and not use the word if we go to zero emission. He said, it's no longer an if, it's required. We're required by law to do it. We can't keep saying if or when. We have to do it now. And so I think it was the first recognition that this is happening. It's not an if. It's not a maybe. It's not a maybe this will work. The commitment is there. It is happening. The regulations have been passed. They have to go do it. But in the truck space, it's been lagging that. They, they haven't had the same requirements in the truck space, but we're starting to see people like UPS say, we're committed to that. And people like DHL and people like FedEx saying, we're actually going to commit to this, not just wait for government grant money. So I think one of them is this regulatory commitment is happening, and people are waking up to that, and that will be a driver, uh, rather than just waiting for, for the government to give them subsidies to buy the stuff and keep in an experimental fleet. Um, the, the other thing. that I think surprises people is drivers love this product. And that's been, again, in the hybrid days and in the early days of electrification, and even in the days of compressed natural gas, which I know you did some work in as well, Drivers didn't like those alternative fuel products. Natural gas didn't have enough power. The original electric vehicles had no range and no power and and required a lot of maintenance and propane vehicles had their problems. And so historically in the world of alternative fuels and something other than gasoline and diesel, everything was always a compromise. Today with electric vehicles and, and hydrogen fuel cell vehicles, we do both. So with zero emission vehicles, it's no longer a compromise position. And that's again, an exciting
0: proposition to be in I think the operations side is, is demanding and pulling these trucks. I think we've got the, uh, you know, the regulatory piece, but also just the overall, um, you know, sustainability. I mean, the, the public is is asking for this. Now, you know, the question that the trucking people are saying, well, what do you want to pay for it? Um, because this is more expensive for us to move goods in this manner, you know, at least for now until we scale or blah, blah, blah. But um, I, I think the, the demand pull um, has, has has pivoted and changed and maybe even, you know, kind of flipped. And, and I'd actually got, you know, a question for you around uh, our capacity to deliver. I mean, I, I, I watch these commercials with all the car companies and the pickup trucking, trucking companies, you know, buy my electric truck. And then when I call a dealer and ask about it, it's okay, well... We're not even taking orders until this fall or next year. And what's going on with uh, just basic capacity, Tim, in your minds? I mean, can we get enough battery and passenger cars are scaling? Trucks have got this demand situation. Um, where do you think we are on capacity as we move into 2022 and going forward? And is that going to be an issue? So I,
1: I'm glad you asked because it is a, an area we are differentiating. We started building capacity in 2017 and 2018 when we started building electric vehicles. And it was highly speculative. People questioned what we were doing because there wasn't orders behind it. But I knew customers would love these vehicles and and want them as we got out but also I knew without scale you don't get the price down without the price coming down the total cost of ownership story wouldn't work and we'd be we'd be in the chicken and egg scenario we were in so I said we've got to make the investments in scaling we started long before other people started making investments in scaling um we started in on that so we today can build three thousand electric trucks in 2022, electric trucks and buses in 2022. It's a small number compared to when you read, oh, you know, Ford's <laughs> going to build what is it, two hundred thousand in the next two or three years, two hundred thousand F-150 Lightnings. But in terms of commercial vehicle, it's very material. Um, it, you know, when you think about. Some of the big, some of the largest fleets for delivery by 3,000 vehicles a year in the US. So, 3,000 vehicles is a, a material number of commercial vehicles and will make a difference and an impact on carbon, on sustainability, and on really ramping up and letting people see this and, and move it. So, but most of the industry isn't there yet, as we know. Most of the industry is still, you know, building factories. And one of the challenges right now in the current environment is when you think about supply chain challenges that have limited those of us who are building trucks limited our our ability to build the trucks we we have the factory to build, um, on the other side, it also limits people's ability to build factories because all the equipment you buy for a factory today is limited. So last year we spent a lot of capital on new equipment to automate our factory and 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 scale our factory, and it took an extra six months to get here.
0: Congratulations on. The work you're doing, I mean, putting real trucks in the hands of real customers and learning is so important. So great work, Tim. Um, Anything you'd, you'd like to finish this up with?
1: really just would like to finish with saying thanks to the work you're doing, Mike, the data you're putting out, um, the the interviews with real drivers and real fleets and really getting feedback is helping us make a better product, helping the industry understand what's real. So huge kudos and appreciation to you and your team for the the work you're doing.
0: Well, thanks. And since you brought it up, there's um, 30 plus, you know, very um, recent videos, 30 plus videos on runonless.com that that Tim is talking about. So I'll plug that right now. I mean, if you get some sometimes not only to listen to these podcasts but to watch some videos uh you'll learn a lot uh, from from those videos so um thanks so much tim good luck in your work and thanks for being on thank you mike freight efficiency with NACFE's mike roth and friends